Hey, Generation Church, we welcome you and invite you to encounter Jesus with us. We believe that through him, we will encounter love and discover our purpose. So take a seat, lean in, and let this message fortify your faith. Father, we just pray today that you would give us eyes to see and revelation knowledge into the beauty of Christ. And that, Lord, we would be moved by compassion to simply be with him and know him more. So, Lord, we just pray today for your anointing just to be upon the word. And, Lord, I thank you and praise you that your life, that your word gives life and life abundantly. And so, Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read that scripture again that Eliza just read, of Philippians 3, 7 through 14. Uh, this is probably one of Paul's pinnacle statements that he's making about his life and who he is and what motivates him, what drives him, what gets him up in the morning. And in that, he's very succinct. And he's very clear on what is important in life. So let's start in verse 7. It says, but whatever things we gain to me, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be, to be loss, less loss in view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. I think we can clearly read in, in, in this portion of Scripture that Paul's main motivation in life and his ministry was to know Jesus. There was nothing else. Nothing even came close to it. And, and then what he's, he's making a statement of, of about what, what gets him up in the morning and why he is preaching the gospel and traveling in all parts of the world is because there was a deep hunger in his heart to know Christ more. And so then he takes his statement of motivation, and then the next verse, all of a sudden, he identifies us with his statement. So he's actually saying, you know what? It's my motivation, but it should be your motivation as well. So then let's look at uh, verse 15. And then he identifies 
all of us, because in this verse he says, let us therefore, as many are perfect. Who has a, a version or translation that says mature? Okay, so you have mature. I like that actually better than the NASB that I have. Let us therefore, as many are mature, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. So let us therefore, as many as are mature, have this attitude that he has. And that is, I'm in love with Jesus. And my motivation is to know him more and more and more. So what is the mark of somebody that's mature in Christ? What is a mark of maturity? We just read it. Having this attitude, right? So who wants to grow up in God? Who wants to be mature? Who wants to press on for the higher things of the calling in Christ Jesus? He's saying, have this mindset, this motivation, which is to know him. Not theologically, not Knowing him through your works and your efforts and your plans, it's, it's, there's no other motivation except to know him. And that's what the attitude that Paul had. So you need to begin to then, if, he's, if he is putting us in this, his equation of, of what's motivating him, we need to begin to check ourselves on how mature we are. Are we mature? And what are we living for? Are you living for your job, your work? Are you living for this or that? What, is, what are you living for and what's motivating you? Those are the things you need to begin to ask yourself. Because the Christian life is not stagnant. We, we're not just like in a holding pattern. Well, I got my measure of revelation. Thank you very much. I got my t-shirt too, and I'm ready to go home one day. You know, it's like there has to be something that says within us, there's got to be more than what I have right now. And, and, and that hunger and that thirst is a mark that you are maturing and growing up in the things of the Lord. So today, I want to focus on that phrase, that I may know him. So, the obvious question is, who's him? Jesus. It's always the answer. You know, when you're, you remember when you're in children's you know, class or that, you know, and they say, well, what's the animal that was, that was put in the ark and that was really tall? And, and then the kids are going, Jesus! You know, I mean, that's the answer. You always got to say Jesus. So, so Paul's motivation, what compelled him, listen, he faced more opposition, more difficulties, more beatings. He was scourged to death, almost to death um, several times. He was discouraged. He had many barriers, many oppositions. Everything, all hell was raised up against Paul. And, and you know, I, I always remember that 
that time in which he was in Iconium, and they, they, they basically drug him out of the city, and they beat him almost. They thought he was dead. They're like, wow, he's dead, you know? He's laying there. He's outside the city. And then all of a sudden, Scripture says he just gets up, and he walks back into the city and preaches the gospel. I mean, I, I'm telling you, after, you know, I've been beaten almost to, to a pulp, almost to, to death, would I be motivated to get right back up and go right back into the city and share the good news after I've just got my tail whipped? I, I have to ask myself, am I living for him or for me? My life is not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. So the life that I'm in this flesh now, it's no longer me that lives, it's Christ within me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who has delivered me. So it's no longer you in this body. I, I know, I just, just so you have the you know, news bulletin, you're not operating and living in your body anymore. That old self is dead, has been nailed to the cross. And now there's a new person who's taken up shop inside your life, in your body, and his name is Jesus. And so in that, our life is not our own anymore. So in that, Paul makes a statement to know him. See, Paul had been an active, committed Christian for probably a, at least 20 years when he wrote those words that we just read in Philippians. And he didn't say, it's because I was saved that I was baptized, that I was filled with the Spirit, that I'm going to church, that I'm serving, I'm in a home group. He didn't say anything of that. He said, it's because my motivation is one thing, and it's not because I'm a member of this church or that church. It's because of knowing him. So could it be, I'm just going to ask this question. I want you just to think about this. Could it be that individuals can be saved, but they don't really know him? And several years ago, I, um, I was boating off Wrightsville Beach, and um, I was having a great time. I was trolling, and I had the Clark spoons down the water, and I was catching, you know, the Spanish, and it was just a wonderful day. Well, I caught some fish, and I was, I was coming back um, into, uh, through the jetty, which you have to go through a jetty to get to, back to the intercoastal waterway area on the backside of the beach. And so when I was coming around the jetty, jetties are formed, they're human-made, but they're formed by rocks that are as large as this room. And they're piled up, they're real high, and the water is very treacherous as you enter into the jetty because it's, it's where a lot of times you have the, a low tide and a high tide, they clash, and waves are like really high. So I'm, I'm coming around the jetty, you know, just just having a good old time, and right, and I get in front of these big rocks, the boat dies. It freezes. It locks up. And all of a sudden, I panic, because this is not 
where you want your boat to stop. This is treacherous. And I mean, I, so all of a sudden, I, I started, because there's boats going up and down, going inside the jetty, and I'm yelling at everybody, hey, come over here, help me throw a line. I need to get away from these rocks. See, because the current was gradually drifting my boat closer and closer to the rocks. And, boat, and boats and rocks don't mix well together, okay? And so I'm there, and all of a sudden, I, I, it's getting like, I'm like within maybe 15, 20 yards of the rocks, and I'm drifting towards the rocks, and all of a sudden, this big old 40-foot Bertram is coming by me, and I'm going, hey, throw me a rope and pull me away from the rocks. And he said, no way, I'm not even getting near those rocks. I'm like, oh, great. He said, but throw your anchor out. And I'm like, oh, the, I mean, I'm like, why did I think of that? So I throw the anchor out, and then, so I throw it in the water, and then I, I'm trying to get it, the anchor to, to set, and it finally sets, and I am like within 12 to 15 feet of the rocks, and the, and the boat's just sitting there bobbing up and down. The, I'm going, oh. I mean, my heart's just like, you know, almost a stop. And so finally, um, so uh, I, he also, he yelled, call the tugboat. And so I said, oh, yeah, that's right. So I, you got, I Googled it. You know, I'm so glad Google still works out offshore. So I Googled a tugboat, and, uh, and so he came, in, he came on out and came alongside my boat. And, and then finally, I was able to get the anchor up, and then he got me away from the rocks, and then he brought me back onto the boat dock. And when I got back to the boat dock, he said, you know, you're really very fortunate to be alive. And I said, yeah, I know. He said, no, no, you don't know. He said, two weeks ago, he was called to get a guy that, um, that in a similar situation, he said, right where you were, a guy died two weeks ago because his boat ended up going up into the rocks and killing him. And I'm like, really? <laughs> wow. So, and this guy was incredible. But he really, I mean, he rescued me. He saved me. But you know what? I don't know his name. I don't know where he lives. I should have sent him like, you know, a thank you gift. Uh, I, should have, I should have gotten to know this guy more because I now can't even remember what he looks like. All I know is he saved me. He rescued me. And could that be with some of us that you're saved You've been saved by a person in a dramatic well. Some of you could have been snatched from hell itself and have been rescued and have been found and have been given a new hope and a new life. But has Jesus, is, it, is he kind of like that masked man? Like, who was that? Who just did that? Is he... Are you so in love with Jesus and you so know him that your salvation experience was, 
was just a starting point to launch you into the discovery of knowing who Christ is. Where are you in your journey? And this is an important question to ask because this morning, I, I want you to be challenged to ask yourself, what really makes you tick? What, makes, what motivates you? What gets you? What are you living for? What is really getting you on the inside? Do you awaken with the thought of being with him? Or do you just want to get your cup of coffee and get your day going? It really comes down to, I mean, it all depends on what God wants to do in this region and in Western North Carolina is, is hinging on the church. He's, he wants the church to be so in love with him, so attracted to him. You know, the scripture says that, that the Gentiles, because of their walk with the Lord, will provoke the Jews to jealousy so that they will come into the faith. Is your life provoking a Jew to want to get saved? When they look at you, they're like, I want that. Whoa, what's going on with you? Or is it like, ooh, I don't want any of that. You know, we, we've got to ask us because your life can be uh, a channel for God to use in such a mighty way. Or it can be a deterrent. And so in that, Evan Roberts said this. This great preacher during the uh, Welsh revival in 1904 that really shook the whole world. The Welsh revival went all over the world. And in that, he says this. Bend the church and bow the world. Bend the church and bow the world. If the church will bend, the world will bow. Do you understand that? It's like, it's like saying, we've got to so bend in to the Lord, so dependent upon the Lord, that we're able to be a channel, not a barrier for the world to receive Jesus. So in that, I, I think if we're honest, we have to acknowledge at times our lives can be a, more of a barrier than a channel. And, and, and we've got to see that there's a great importance for us to do what Paul said, and that is to know Jesus, to know him more. So we need to really examine our, we need some self-examination. I, I really want you guys to begin to think about, look at your life, your self-examination, look at it, when you wake up, because really the, the destiny of the church is how it conducts itself concerning this portion of Scripture that we just read in Philippians. So Jesus said in John 17, 3, let's look at that. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. This is eternal life. Your salvation hinges on the fact of knowing God 
and knowing Jesus. It's not just you got your ticket and you're going to heaven. He's saying there's more and I want you to press in because to know God is to love God. So, but there can be serious consequences to those that are just going through the motions as a believer and you're not taking seriously what I'm saying right now. And let's look at this. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's sobering right there. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I declare to them, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. I mean, that's, that's a very sobering consequence to not desiring to know him because what this is saying is that, you know, you can do the works, you can do the stuff, you can do the ministry, you can cast out demons, you can heal the sick, you can raise the dead, but if you don't know him, he's saying, depart from me. It really is giving us kind of a a little uh, headline, hey, you know what? In addition to me serving the Lord, I must also first serve Him and love Him. You know, I, I find it quite interesting that there was a home that Jesus visited on a very frequent basis in the Scriptures near Jerusalem, and, um, and it was the home of Lazarus. He, was, he frequently went there. And And it doesn't say why he frequently went there, but I have a hunch. It's because they wanted to fellowship with Jesus. They just wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to get to hear him, talk with him. He he had fellowship with them. He had relationship with them. I mean, don't you love going to somebody's house where you can just have a, a heart connection and fellowship and relating and, and, and getting to know somebody. I mean, it's important because we've got to understand that all of us are on a journey right now, and it's all going upward, okay? It's all going up from here. So an important aspect of our spiritual journey, which life, Scripture talks about our journey, our life is like a pathway, Okay, it's a it's a pathway that's leading upward and keeps going up. So on this spiritual pathway, let's look at Proverbs 418. So let me just preface this by saying that your spiritual life cannot be static. It cannot be static. It has to be vibrant. It has to be alive. It has to be something that is compelling you that is motivating you. Your life is not your own. You're living for somebody else. So the scripture says, but the path of the righteous, who has pathway? 
Anybody have that in their version? Proverbs 4.18, does it say pathway or path? Anybody have a pathway? Going once. No. I, I've seen other versions that say, but the pathway of the righteous. I, I like that. The pathway of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So righteousness is, is not a place that you reach and you sit down and you say, whoo, I'm here now. I'm righteous. <laughs> you're not sitting. You're on a pathway. And this pathway is, is it's saying that this pathway, the light grows brighter and brighter day by day on this pathward. It's a highway to righteousness. It's a highway. It keeps going up. So let me just say this. If you're walking in yesterday's light, you have the potential of backsliding. The light is going upward, and it's a pathway. So the light and revelation that you need is up ahead of you that you're pressing into. If you keep holding on to the light that you got 20 years ago, you have a chance of backsliding or your heart growing cold. So the issue is, is the light before you getting brighter and brighter? Is, is it clear where you're going? Do you know what's up ahead? Are you still holding on to the good old days? Oh, you remember those days? Woo. You're not static. We're on the move. You see, God does not want you to be a settler. He wants you to be a pioneer. The kingdom of God does not consist of settlers. It consists of pioneers. So are you on the frontier being a pioneer or are you settling? And you just wanted to, you know, set up shop. Well, let's just kind of like enjoy this season of life. Everything about God is wanting you to mature and grow up. And begin to press in to those things that are greater, that are more uh, bigger than you. So if you're not moving, you're immobile. And being immobile in the kingdom of God makes you a target of the enemy. Because he's always waiting for the stragglers. He's always waiting for those that are on the, low, on the back end of the ranks. He's looking for those that are just like, whoo, I'm just going to sit down here and take a break. When those are all in unity together and going in one accord with one heart and one mind in love with Jesus, we are a force to be reckoned with. But when individuals start settling in, Enjoying the light from yesterday and are not wanting to press on for the more in God are in jeopardy of going backwards. 
So we got to, it's kind of like we got to do a self-evaluation spiritually of ourselves right now. And I'm actually counting myself. And I've been doing this all week long saying, God, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way within me. See if there be anything within me that does not want to be motivated by knowing Christ more. So in that, I, I want us to understand that to, to know him is, is a lot bigger than what we really think. Because um, having this attitude that Paul had is, is really going to be beneficial for all of us. See, Paul had a little bit of years ahead of us. I mean, Paul was able to accomplish things in the Spirit that not many men accomplished. And he was able to achieve things, understand things. He got revelation in the Spirit. He was taken up into heaven and seen things that, that man had not seen before. He had some encounters with God that would eclipse many of us here. And now all of that, he says, is nothing compared to knowing him. All of that. All that he achieved. And it's like Paul kept it real simple, real basic, what this whole thing is about. So complacency, I believe, complacency is one of the biggest problems of the church today. And God doesn't want you to fall into a complacent lifestyle where you're just satisfied with eating the pizza from last week. God's got new bread for you, new pizza, and it's down the road. He doesn't want you eating always yesterday's food. He wants you to press into the new bread, the new wine, the new things that he has for you in the kingdom. And in that, he wants us to keep going forward. So how can we get to know Jesus? Doesn't that sound like a really good question? Yeah. All right. Could it be, and I'm just going to ask this as a rhetorical question. Have any of you, or maybe some of you, have been saved by a stranger? I'm just asking. Have you been saved by a stranger? And... Because in that, if you've been saved by a stranger, the Lord is really want, wanting us to come in to knowing the stranger. He's wanting us to be changed by a stranger. So remember, we're not talking about doctrine or a set of facts. We're, we're talking about knowing a person and the person is Jesus, and knowing Jesus as a person. He's a person. And in that, the obvious answer um, that a way for us to get to know a person is by having an ongoing fellowship with that person. Ongoing fellowship. So there's no other way, really. It's, it's, it's the way to know him is to have a daily life 
where there's intimate fellowship with Jesus? Are you allowing him to have time to talk with you? Are you having time to talk with him? Are you asking him, Lord, what's on your mind? What's on your heart today? What is it that you have for me? What is it that you want to tell me? Is there anything that you want me to do? What do you think of me? And let Christ share with you how he is so in love with you and likes everything about you. There's nothing about you he doesn't like. He likes everything. And and I love this phrase in the Bible where we read of certain people in the Bible and it says that they walked with God. They walked with God. And, and I thought about this, that you know the person that comes to mind, there's actually a couple of them, but one of them is Enoch. And it says, he walked with God. And it says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Come on, that's like really cool. I mean, he so enjoyed walking and spending time with God in fellowship that all of a sudden he's walking along. Oh, Father, I love you. Oh, my goodness, I love you more today than I did yesterday. Father, tell me all that you want me to know. And before he could get the next word out, whoop! God catapults him into heaven and he says you know what i'm enjoying fellowship with you so much i wanted you to be with me so it was like he was here one moment and the next moment he wasn't he was with god in the presence of god it's like god says i'm enjoying you so much i want you right by my side and this is the kind of fellowship i mean really it's, it's all coming down to a relationship where you're longing for the more of God. So are you longing for fellowship? Because that's really the only way you'll get to know him is fellowship with him. He's a person. He's not a doctrine. He's not a Bible college. It's walking with him daily in a fellowship that is rich. So there's three marks of knowing God, and I want us to go ahead and I uh, want you to write these down. These are three marks of knowing God. And, and as I give these to you, I just want you to check and say, do I have these marks in me? They're all found in the epistle of, of John, of which knowing God is one of the main themes in, in the First John epistle. So first John two, three through four. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So it's possible to say, I know him but lie. So what's the evidence that you know him? What is the evidence that you know him out of what we just read? Keeping his commandments. That's right. And if you're not keeping the commandments, then don't claim that you know him because that's a lie. 
You know, I won't go there. You can't be duplistic. You know, you can't fool yourself. You can't say, I'm not going to obey everything in the Bible. There's a few things there I'm going to give myself a little leeway to. Well, okay. But then if we're going to get right down to the Scripture, and if I ask you the question, do you know him? You say, yeah, I know him. He's, I know him. And then the Word is showing that you don't know him in all areas. Then it's saying that you're a liar. 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has been seen, has seen him or knows him. So now this verse, the sin there is in a tense form. It's, it's, it's a tense verb, which actually means to regularly practice sin. So it doesn't mean that if you sin, you repent, that uh, that. You've, you don't know him anymore. No, it's saying if you, if you, if you're, if you sin, you repent, you're, you're made in right standing with him, everything is good. But if you continue a pattern of repetitive sin in an area of your life, the word is saying that you do not know him. So if there is a habitual repetitive area in your life, then you need to make sure that you're just not giving a religious language to, yeah, I know him. And really, you're not meeting the qualifications of stopping that repetitive sin. 1 John 4, 7 through 8, and I think this is the most searching test. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So you can talk as much as you like about knowing God, but if you don't love, you don't know Him. And this is supernatural love. This isn't that a feel, this isn't just like brotherly love. Hey, bro, how's it going, man? You know, high five, baby. Um, it's, it's supernatural in that it's agape, and that you're able to supernaturally love those that are very difficult to love. Is he might like love somebody that was really difficult? Okay. They're there. Trust me. So your heart is put to the test. Oh, wow. Okay. I got to love this person, even though they're a porcupine. <laughs> so in that you're able to love supernaturally because of this love that's been born in you. So this is evidence that you know God. So, so why don't we ask ourselves, myself included, do I have evidence in my life that I know God? Do I keep His commandments? If not, it's futile for me to say that I know God. Have I ceased from sin? If not, it's a lie if I say that I know God. And am I truly loving other people? If not, I don't have evidence that I know God. This is the litmus test. These are the things that are indicating to you. So you can see a little of what Paul had in mind when he said, that I may know him. He's talking about the experience. It's not about just his experience of being saved and baptized. 
He's talking about something far beyond what is, is in our Christian life. And that is something that he's wanting to, to settle down into our hearts. That you, you, There must be that cry in your heart, God, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than what I have right now. Because we serve an infinite God. We, we serve also a person. So I really want us to, I want to conclude just in this whole thing for us to realize that the hallmark, the indicators of a mature believer in Christ is one that is passionately pursuing a lifestyle of walking with him daily in fellowship so that we might know him more. That's the hallmark. That's, that is for a mature believer. So we don't need yesterday's manna. We don't need yesterday's light. We don't need yesterday's experience with God. Your pathway, your journey on this, on this earth is a pathway that is leading upward. And it's on a path of light where there's revelation after revelation after revelation of the light of Christ. And in that, that light is beginning to reveal to us. I mean, you got to think about it. There are the elders around the throne that consistently, every day, are, are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they're laying down the crowns and they're bowing at his feet. Someone might say, well, how? That would kind of get a little boring, wouldn't it? Always saying holy, holy, holy for the rest of your life. Well, let me ask you this. Do you understand fully an infinite God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who is the creator of all things? Do you think it's possible that when they're looking into the eyes of Almighty God that they're getting a new revelation of who he is? Because you got to understand, God is not stagnant. God is alive. And God is moving in power. And all of a sudden, God's just got to turn his face a little, a little to the side or a little to this side. And they're getting a new glimpse of a revelation of God. And they're like, oh my goodness! Holy! Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Did you see what I just saw? And so God can open the eyes of your heart and mind so that you're seeing a God that is never, ever going to be boring. He is wonderful. And the revelation of who he is comes through the gate of his beloved son, Jesus. We got to go through the narrow gate, not the wide gate that leads to destruction. We're going through the narrow gate that leads what? To life, abundantly. So church, I really want you to 
ask yourself, am I growing up in God? Am I maturing, even though I might be 60 years old? <laughs> 70, 40. Are you satisfied? There's got to be more, church. So let's embrace the lover of our soul and get to know that masked man that saved you. Don't let it be like the Lone Ranger. Where did he go? Get to know the one that saved you and bought you with the price, laid down his life for you. Get to know him and have fellowship with him, and let's all grow up in God. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you so much that you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him, know him, love him, adore him, would never perish but have everlasting life with you. So God, I pray that everyone in this room could saddle up today on their horse and ride with you. Lord, I pray that today we would get on the horse and we would ride. For, Lord, you were born to ride. And, Lord, I just thank you and I praise you that a passion is going to grow in our hearts to know you more. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead. We're going to put three minutes on the clock. Go get your children. We're going to come back in here and worship the one we love. And... um, yeah. And go ahead. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, if we could pass out the elements, we're going to go ahead and do communion today. So uh, if somebody, some of the deacons could grab uh, the elements, we're going to go ahead and pass those out. But go ahead and greet one another.